Welcome to another edition of Bitcoin Te uh, Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and you can always find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com. Suckers of Information and Asymmetry, Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 281. Bitcoin is pretty mainstream these days. From Canadian truckers to corporations, the use cases of Bitcoin are being proven to the market in real time. Many are finally seeing the unconfiscatability, the store of value, and fast digital transacting nature of Bitcoin. It wasn't always this way. For years, Bitcoin enthusiasts were seen as the weird people, the misfits, the crazies. It's only re uh, as the rest of the market catches up to the reality of Bitcoin that such characterizations are being reformed. The early adopters had information that the rest of the market wasn't aware of. This is called information asymmetry. Early adopters did the work of finding out the value of Bitcoin while the broader market remained ignorant, and the early adopters have been rewarded as a result. Of course, information asymmetry doesn't just go in one direction. It's currently being used against us, and that's what today's column is about. Information asymmetry exists because there is too much information. Sifting through all of it is very difficult, and unless we want to spend all of our time learning all sorts of subjects in depth, we have to trust others to summarize volumes of information. This is unfortunately where the information asymmetry is to our disadvantage. Information can be presented in a way as to get us to feel and act in a way that the summarizer wants. News used to be financed by consumers of these summaries. Newspapers used to charge readers in exchange for more or less objective information. The consumer and newspaper had a monetary relationship and bad service to the customer meant that the newspaper would lose revenue. This changed, however, during the uh, starting with network television. The business model changed from that of direct consumer sales to one based completely on advertising. This meant that there was no direct relationship between the news provider and the news consumer. The advertiser became an important intermediary who started influencing the programming. This has only gotten worse with the internet, where ad views and click-throughs are the metrics that pay. As a result, news aggregators have been taking advantage of their information asymmetry. They present the news in such a way as to satisfy an agenda. The value of the news organization nowadays is largely in its ability to manipulate their audience. In other words, the audience is their product. News organizations are by no means the only ones to have this business model. Google, Facebook, Twitter, and a lot of free services on the internet use the information asymmetry to sell their audience to the highest bidder. The information asymmetry is a bit different in this case, though. They know much more, not about the topic in question, but about their audience. They know about their search habits, friends, location, political leanings, and buying habits, among other things. They use this information asymmetry to manipulate their users in subtle ways for their profit. By using these services, our minds are under constant assault. 
It can influence what we buy, how we think, who we vote for, what we invest in, and much more. Our self-sovereignty is under attack through the psyops of these giant, well-funded corporations. Too many people trust and not enough people verify. So what can we do about this? How can we defend ourselves against these assaults on our perceptions of the world? First and foremost, we have to recognize our cognitive attack surface. We are vulnerable where we want to believe something. People that hate politician X relish bad news about X, so we'll have a tendency to believe such news. Being honest with our biases is the first step to being free from these attacks. Second, we have to be much more careful about where we consume content. Content from free services inevitably will be to manipulate us for their profit. Free is the wrong price to pay, as that will generally mean that we're the product. That means we should make information sifting a real service that we pay for instead of relying on ads. Third, we need to take privacy very seriously. The more these companies know about us, the easier it is for them to manipulate us. Privacy is our main defense against being manipulated. Finally, we need to be willing to do our own research. It's easy to be opinionated about something. It's hard to be informed. Sadly, too many people mistake the former for the latter. This means not just evaluating primary sources, but also to avoid conclusions drawn by others until you've had a chance to look at the data yourself. Opinions need to be the last thing we make. We are unfortunately on the short end of the information asymmetry. The elites have used this advantage to great effect, particularly in democracies. We can and should fight back. So I wrote this uh, as sort of like a, a reflection on what's been going on recently. Um, if you have been getting the sense that you're not getting the whole story on a lot of these things that are happening around the world, I, I think there's some truth to that. We're, we're only being presented a very one-sided sort of narrative on a lot of this stuff. Um, and I think a lot of it is because the big um, value uh, is not to the consumer or the user, it's to the places that are actually um, wanting to manipulate us. And those are some pretty terrible incentives. And that's what I wanted to point out in this article. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about Bitcoin. Gleb Naumenko and Antoine Riard have written a paper on CoinPool. The idea is similar to OptLUV and OptBVIC from last week's newsletter, but uses two new SIGHash values, SIGHash AnyPrevout and SIGHash Group, along with a new opcode, OptMerkleSub. The main idea is very similar to OTLUV in the sense that a UTXO has a tap script tree with various balances. OpMerkle sub checks that the new output is essentially the same tree minus the user's balance. The SIGHash group lets the output be at any index. 
The idea feels very similar to both the other proposals, and there will be a lot of minutiae which will be argued about as these proposals battle to become the next soft fork. Alright, the Bitcoin manual has a nice overview of stealth addresses. These are addresses that usually require some form of Diffie-Hellman exchange and have great privacy properties. As the article points out, there are unfortunately also some significant downsides as recovering your coins is not as simple as re-entering your seed words. There are also regulatory concerns, though for me that's a large part of the value proposition. So stealth addresses let you um, have a lot more addresses uh, on almost like a per user basis. So that's the main thing that you're getting out of stealth addresses. And that's uh, it's an interesting idea and uh, uh, it's not used that much, but it is available. Bitcoin Pi is a nice resource for Python developers to learn Bitcoin using a couple of different Bit Python Bitcoin libraries. Full disclosure, I'm a contributor to Biddle, which is part of the resources of their website. You can create all sorts of different addresses and transactions using the tutorials on there. It's a good source for learning for those that want to make their own applications. So if you're a Python programmer, I think you should definitely take a look. Paul Alcorn uh, details Intel's first generation ASIC chips. These are pretty impressive from a spec perspective, though it's hard to know what the yield on these is. At least for a first generation chip, they seem to have done very well, and their second generation will have a lot of consumer customers, including Jack Dorsey's Block, Argo, and Grid. They will need a lot better engineering to get to the levels that Bitmain and MicroBT have as their first generation chips get only about 40% of the hash rate for the same amount of power. Given that AMD has surpassed them in market cap, the entry into Bitcoin mining space looks like a way to compete. So Intel is getting into the ASIC game. They're a little bit behind, but I, I expect them to catch up because uh, they really do have a lot of know-how. Let's talk about Lightning. Voltage has an article on how to get inbound liquidity. Inbound liquidity tends to be the main thing preventing useful routing for nodes and locking up that liquidity has a real opportunity cost for the other party. So this is a tricky issue. The post goes through some common ways in which nodes get inbound liquidity including the most capitalistic one of simply buying it. I personally think that's going to be the most useful way in which the Lightning can develop since that's a lot more scalable. So inbound liquidity is, uh, is very difficult to get and, uh, and they give some suggestions on how that can be brought about. Breeze Tech argues that Lightning is a liquidity network. As the article explains, lack of liquidity is what makes for a bad user experience in the form of failed payments. The optimization of network liquidity depends on each node doing local optimizations, which requires each node to care more about the fees being generated. Tools are still lacking in this area, and being able to visualize how much traffic each payment channel gets over time is something sorely needed. The article concludes that until each node optimizes on routing fees and gets lots of traffic, the liquidity is not allocated properly. 
In other words, we need more people that care about making money on Lightning. So it turns out that we need a lot more um, capitalism on the Lightning Network to make sure that the liquidity is being used properly uh, for sort of like the smoothest operation of the entire network. Right now, that's not happening. I suspect it's a lot of people that are just sort of playing around with it and not trying to make money. Um, capitalism, I think, helps a lot in this regard, and we need more people that are doing that. Collider explains how we already have synthetic USD on the Lightning Network. The main way to do this is by using a financial derivative called an inverse perpetual swap. The details are a bit mathy, but essentially you can hedge your Bitcoin by buying the swap and selling it later when you want to get out of the USD position. In a sense, this is a bit of a cheat since there's a counterparty to consider, but it's not different than any other USD stablecoin since there's some central party you need to trust anyway. More promising is something like Tether on Lightning Network, which will be a lot easier for normal people to understand. So this is, I think, one of the big things that a lot of people want to do is have some sort of uh, USD-denominated token on the Lightning Network. Um, we'll have to watch and see if uh, uh, you know who comes to market first on that. But Lightning is a lot better experience than Tether is because it takes too long. You can build your own Lightning ATM. Given that the pain of Bitcoin ATMs is the confirmation times, this seems like a no-brainer in terms of user experience. There's an obvious business model here with fees and being able to cash out quickly from Bitcoin will be a very useful property given what's been going on in Canada. So uh, Lightning ATMs are an interesting concept because it should be a lot faster than sort of the ATMs that exist and uh, you know, you need to like wait six confirmations before you get like your money or something like that. That That's kind of ridiculous. I, I like to see uh, more lightning based ones. And I think that's the future. Economics, engineering, etc. There's a bipartisan effort to oversee El Salvador's use of Bitcoin. These senators essentially want the State Department to keep tabs on El Salvador's use of Bitcoin particularly with respect to the role of USD as the world's reserve currency. Whether this is the first step toward sanctioning El Salvador or an innocent inquiry into the usefulness of Bitcoin is anyone's guess. Let's just say that I think it's probably the former. So, um, you know, the, the senators are asking for an inquiry into that. Um, you can, you know, bet that there's uh, some banks that are sort of... <laughs> funding some of this uh, inquiry. Laura Shin has published a preview of her book where she claims to have found a DAO hacker. For those that don't remember or weren't around at the time, the DAO was a smart contract on Ethereum that had about one-sixth of all ETH at the time in it. The contract was a complete mess and someone found some loopholes in the smart contract and drained it of its money in 2016. Vitalik famously rolled back those transactions regarding the codeless law principle which he had been championing, and Ethereum Classic was born as a result. This seems like a genuine addition to this event. The article hand waves over some crucial details like how Chainalysis did a wasabi undid a wasabi coin join, 
but is worth reading just for the history. I've said it many times, Ethereum and all altcoins are really centralized, and there is nothing that proves this as much as this incident. Uh, yeah, so Laura is uh, publishing her book, and this is part of her book, and this is the big reveal is that she found the DAO hacker. I, I still say it's a DAO a smart contract lawyer and not a hacker. Um, did what the code allowed him to do. Um, but yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see what repercussions there are, if any. Shinobi goes through how Bitcoin is empowering Ukrainian refugees. As many people are leaving the country for obvious reasons, there's a lot of demand for liquid assets. For example, Tether was trading at $1.10 in the Ukraine. People leaving the country really want digital forms of USD and are willing to pay a significant premium for it. Perhaps Bitcoin really can relieve some of the serious suffering from war through empowering individuals. I would like to see a little bit more of that. Um, you know, like people just sort of like getting up and leaving if uh, if something crazy is going on because uh, you know the a lot of the civilian suffering for war from war happens because they're sort of caught in the crossfire. Jaron Melarud has an interesting profile of Bitcoin mining in Georgia, the country and not the state. Apparently, 9-15% to 15 of all electricity generated in Georgia goes towards Bitcoin mining, and what used to be an electricity exporter has since become an electricity importer. Given that their main electricity generation is hydroelectric, the power profile is pretty ideal for Bitcoin mining. So, I, I had no idea that uh, Georgia was so big into Bitcoin mining, but it kind of makes sense if they have a lot of hydro. Um, tends to be not that steady, and having a consumer for that electricity is probably very useful. All right, some quick hits. Turns out Mimblewimble has a, uh, coins have a big DOS vector. A lot of Bitcoin is being donated to the Ukrainian government right now. Um, uh, single people, be careful out there. Um, you can get scammed. Uh, go jump in a lake. That's a reference to what Ted Cruz said. Another week, another useless blockchain project shows just how useless it's been. This one is um, in regard to, I think it was an IBM Hyperledger project in the Caribbean or something like that. Another week, another scam finally gets its due, um, or scammer finally gets its uh, gets his due, uh, and it's uh, this one is regarding um, BitConnect. I am in London this week for the Advancing Bitcoin Conference, Thursday and Friday, March third and fourth. I'm also going to be at Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, April the sixth through eighth. I'll also be doing the Programming Blockchain Seminars in London uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week and Miami April 4th and 5th. On this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Texas Slim about the food industrial complex. Learn about all the middlemen in between the farm and your table. I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find on my website. And here is the latest book, which is out now, Bitcoin and the American Dream. My other books are Thank God for Bitcoin, The Little Bitcoin Book, and 
programming Bitcoin. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at Unchained.com. Fiat de Lendez, this song is done. <laughs>